Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke 18, 1-14 Well, good morning, Christ Church. My name's Elijah Daly. I get to be one of the ministers here on staff. And first off, I just want to say welcome to all the, all the parents right here. This is the one Sunday of the year. Everyone comes to the front. So just to let you know, this is the spit zone, okay? So you're at your own risk here, uh, but we're glad to have you guys here. The last several weeks, we have been in a series really looking at the attributes of God, the characteristics of who God is. And it's called, we call this series, What a God. And the truth is, one of our goals of this series is that by observing who God is by, by hearing and really just sitting in, in the characteristics of all that he is, his, his goodness and grace, we would be moved to worship. Like really, like when we think of the God of the universe being as near as a father, when we think of a God being faithful to people who have been unfaithful to him, when we think of a God who is always at work, who's the created all things and yet is still a safe place to rest, when we think of a God who has offered us a space to have hope, And that'll give us a reason to sing. That'll give us a reason to live. And that will give us a reason to say, what a God. And I hope that today is no different. You see, today I have the privilege of reminding us that God is a God of justice. He is just, and we need him to be. Because we have questions about evil and suffering and pain and whether anyone is ever going to do anything about it all. And if God is a God of justice, whose justice is it? What evil will he take care of? Who will he punish? Is it the Republicans' justice or the Democrats? Is it the Muslims' justice or the Christians? You see, we have these ideas of when God will come and stop the suffering. 
Like, is there a limit on suffering that God will, will see or does he just not smell the decay and rot? We long for it. We long for him to come to put things right. And we have questions. But these questions, they're not actually unique to our cultural moment. In fact, these are the very same types of questions that Jesus' disciples were asking him in Luke 17 as they walked and talked with their mentor, with their rabbi, with their teacher. They were asking, when are you going to bring justice on this world? It seems like it's taking forever. And Jesus answers. God always answers. It's just that sometimes we either don't like his answers or we're too small for them. And typically when we're too small, Jesus condescends, he shrinks down, he gets on one knee and he tells us a story. And in our text today, he tells us two. And in them, we will find the hope of justice, the fear of justice, and the surprise of justice. So that's where we're going today. The hope of justice, the fear of justice, and the surprise of justice. So let's look at the hope of justice. Now you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 18. That's where we're going to be at in verse one. And you'll be able to pick up pretty quickly here of what the setting is that Jesus is starting uh, to, to show. He says this, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, every story that Jesus tells is brilliant. There's not, no exception here. Like he does this yet again because he gives us a perfect image of what kind of justice is necessary. It's in the widow. You see, the widow needs justice because she has been wronged, but specifically she has been wronged in two ways. One, she's been wronged by an adversary, which we will talk about in a moment. But the other way in which she has been wronged is actually in her condition. You see, Jesus could have picked literally anyone to be the victim in this trial. He could have picked a rich person or a religious person, but instead he picks a widow. Why? Because when Jesus speaks of justice, he isn't just talking about putting right criminals, but circumstances. Part of what Jesus is appealing to, part of what needs to be put right is simply the condition that people exist in. This woman was husbandless which means that she would have had to have been cared for by her sons. But since they are nowhere mentioned in this story, we can assume that she has none. She's alone. She has no one to advocate on her behalf. No one is stepping in. And so she has to do it herself. And when she does, she's ignored because she has no poll, no status, no money. She could offer the judge nothing in return for his services. This woman is poor and isolated and rejected. It's not what God intends. It's not right, but justice will put it right. Justice will step in. God will step in. This is why Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, for the Lord, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. 
This is why Psalm 68, four says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And this isn't just like an Old Testament thing either. This is what he says in the New Testament in James 1.27, that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, too often times when we think of a God of justice, we think of a God with lightning bolts in his fists. But man, sometimes, sometimes he comes with bread. And the hope of justice that Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples is one that advocates for those who have no one to represent them. This woman was at a disadvantage in every single respect. She was a perfect image of what kind of justice is necessary. Justice will put circumstances right, but it will also put right criminals. You see, Jesus doesn't give us the details of the case, but he does tell us that the widow specifically asked the judge for justice against her adversary. She wants punishment done to this man. And we don't know who the adversary is, but we don't need to. Like we know enough. This guy has decided that he's going to take advantage of this widow and her circumstances. This woman was at a disadvantage. She was poor and rejected and alone. And there was a man using it against her. And no one cared. So the question becomes, like, will anyone do anything about this? Will this man get to go on exploiting the weak? Will no one intervene? Does anyone care? We feel this way. We have these questions. Maybe sometimes it's just in our own story, right? But sometimes it's in stories we observe. Sometimes they're light. Sometimes they're heavy. I'll give you a light one. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm about to say something that's going to offend you, okay? But I need, to, I need you to hear me out. I hate the movie Christmas Vacation. I hate it. I know. You are all just lost respect for me. But let me explain, okay? Let me explain. Everything in this movie goes wrong from the very beginning. Like, this is a nice guy. He's just trying to provide a great Christmas experience for his family. And everything goes wrong from the very beginning of the movie all the way to the end. And this one thing, like the one thing that this guy has been waiting for, what is it? The bonus check. The bonus check. He's been waiting all year because he just wants to give his family a nice gift. And he's endured so much. He's endured his horrible boss. And he, it, it doesn't come until it finally does, late, right? Because everything in this movie goes wrong. And he gets it and he's so excited. Like this is the one bright spot in this, in this film, right? Where everything's going to finally coalesce and go right for this guy. And his whole family gathers around. And he's like, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm not even going to wait to tell you. I'm going to put it in a swimming pool. In fact, I already paid the deposit. I needed this check because I didn't think I'd have enough money in my bank account to cover it. And so I'm so excited. Everyone's celebrating, right? And he opens it up. And what does he find? A one-year membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. And it's like, I'm like, really? Still, still. Like Frank Shirley does this man in again. Will there be justice? Does anyone care? We know Cousin Eddie does, right? That's what we come to find out. The light moments, but then of course there's heavy ones. Like there are heavy moments, our own stories, the stories we observe in the, moon, in the, uh, in the news, the things that happen to, to children and women and, and ultimately the people that we love where humans become the objects of exploitation. And we sit here and we're wondering like, 
Will anyone do anything about this? Does anyone care who will seek justice? And the woman, the widow, she would not take no for an answer. She keeps going to the judge and he's ignored her. And Jesus makes it clear that he could care less about her. He is godless, he is immoral, he is irreligious and selfish. And he finally makes a a decision, really just out of his own self-interest to help her. It says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Do you see what happens? The woman keeps pestering over and over again. And finally, the wicked judge grants her justice simply so he can get her out of his face. And then Jesus continues on in verse six. It says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Jesus is saying, you want justice, good. Don't stop asking for it. Don't stop praying for it. Don't stop longing for it. If a wicked judge will grant justice to a widow, just think of what a righteous God will do. Do you see the hope of justice Jesus is providing here? He's saying, I'm coming. The true judge is coming. He says, I know it may feel like forever, but don't give up longing for it. Don't give up asking for it. It's coming. And of course, we have that nagging question, don't we? Why not now? What are you waiting for? Why is it still not here after so long? I think verse eight gives us a clue. It says this, however, when the son of man comes, he will find faith on the earth. Will he find faith on the earth? You see what he's saying? He's saying, when I come, will I even find people worth saving? Will I find faith? Will I find belief? Will I find trust? This is why 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, he's saying the question isn't whether I will bring justice, but whether when I do, it will be for you or against you. So let's look at the fear of justice. The fear of justice. This picks up in verse nine, says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now look, we see two men here, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. In other words, one religious, one irreligious, one moral, one immoral. One was an image of religious devotion and piety and one was the image of greed, betrayal and godlessness. And Jesus knows that everybody around him right now, they're the, they're the religious type. They're standing around him and he knows that they long for justice, but he also knows that none of them think it will come for them. Which means their longing for justice is not that, that things would be put right but that they could be right. Now, when most people read this prayer of the tax collector, I think that they imagine it like this. God, I thank you 
that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But I don't think that's how he was praying. And self-righteousness is hardly ever that obvious. Self-righteous people hardly ever think that they are self-righteous. They know what is good. They do what is good. Everything he says here is correct. He wasn't lying about his goodness. He was relying on it. He assumed that that goodness made him right with God. And because he was right with God, he had a superiority about him. Now, I think many of us, when we read a text like this, we think that Jesus is trying to expose the church type. He's not. He's trying to expose the self-righteous type, the virtue signaling type, the people that think that because they have the right answers and they've made the right decisions and so they're on the right side because they're on the right side, they can be condescending and they can be critical and they can be rude. They can look down on the wrong side in every way. You see, Jesus is exposing the religious and the irreligious. But these categories, they take different shapes depending upon our cultural context. On the irreligious side, you have those exactly as the Pharisee put them. The robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers. These are people who shrug at morality because they don't believe in it. Their, their purpose in life is pleasure and they'll fulfill that at no matter the cost that it takes them. And there isn't really much to expose here because they pretty much just live out in the open for everybody to see. The religious, on the other hand, they aren't defined by those who go to church. It's those who say they have morality and then they measure others by it. Value and dignity are based on you conforming to what they think is good. Now, of course, there are people in the church that are like this. Don't get me wrong. But there are also people who walk away from the church who are like this. In fact, one of the most common criticisms, I'm sure you've all heard it, is that the church is just full of self-righteous hypocrites. And so people have walked away from the church because it's just full of these people who say one thing and do another. But aren't they doing the exact same thing? They're saying, well, at the end of the day, I don't want to be involved with those people because I'm morally superior than them. So I'm going to do, go do my own thing. You see, we have a predominantly self-righteous society and it's far more prevalent than I bet we've even realized. All you have to do is look on social media Social media is the window of our culture's soul, and it's pretty obvious. When you're right about wearing a mask or not wearing one, about being vaccinated or not being vaccinated, on gender, on politics, on theology, on life, we don't have grace. We have superiority. We have right conclusions, and therefore we have criticism and cynicism and barbarity. We have tribes. We have religions. The religious have infiltrated every part of our society. The religions may be different. The gods may be strange, but both measure your righteousness by a set of standards known by the group and you're in or you're out in light of them. You gotta earn your place. And sometimes the good isn't even measured by morality at all. Sometimes it's just measured by status or things or talent. You see, the religious, they see the whole world as the domain for performance. You have to earn success and reward. And if you lack it, if you're poor or lonely or sad or depressed, it's because you didn't make the right decisions. You see, this is the religiosity that Jesus is exposing. This is the self-righteousness that needs to be addressed. The Pharisee had no idea. It's hard to recognize your own self-righteousness. It's hard to determine that. 
He was certainly doing all the right things. He was fasting and he was tithing. Like this was somebody, a Pharisee was somebody who not just obeyed the law, but they went above and beyond it. Like this was somebody who not just drove the speed limit, right? But went a little bit under just in case. And he's in the temple, he's praying. He's taken a posture of standing, which is a common posture of worship and praying in this time. And he speaks to God. Literally every outward expression here of a man who's right with God. And yet Jesus says he is not. Jesus says he goes home unjustified. And that should make us nervous, don't you think? How can we know? How can we know that we are in with God? How can we have a confidence that we are in with God if the best moral people among us are out? What's Jesus talking about here? You see, we long for justice. We hope for justice. But that hope of justice turns to fear when we begin to realize that the very thing it may need to put right is us. The very punishment we long for of the enemies, of the evil, might actually include us. Now, don't miss the connection of these stories. You see, in the one story, Jesus is saying, God is going to put things right. And he's going to start with the irreligious, those that are godless and immoral and exploit people as objects and make pleasure their purpose. But on the other hand, justice is going to come for the religious too. The ones who think they are moral and right, the ones who create boundaries of inclusion and hierarchies of value, They assume that their life is the product of their own choices, their own effort, their own intellect, their own morality. You see, we start with the hope of justice, this longing for what Jesus will bring, but it quickly turns to fear. Who is right with God? How could this include me? And all of a sudden, the prayer for justice becomes dangerous. Let's look at the surprise of justice, the surprise of justice. The surprise of justice starts in verse 13, right after the Pharisee is done acknowledging his own devotion. It says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now Jesus picks characters that will shock his audience. A Pharisee on one side and a tax collector on the other. That would be like saying Pope Francis on one side and Jeffrey Epstein on the other. Tax collectors were not looked upon with favor. They were terrible people. They were the epitome of sin. They worked for Rome, extracting money from people, but Rome used the locals, which means this guy was a part of the Jewish community and yet he abandoned it. He had received morality, the morality of the one true God, and yet he abandoned it. He committed treason by working for Rome and he profited by it. And the surprise comes in when this man is in the temple at all. Like, what's he doing here? But we quickly come to find out what he's doing here. He's grieving. He's ashamed. Beat down by guilt that he won't even look up. He doesn't want God to see his face and he certainly doesn't deserve to be seen. And he beats his breast, that cavity which holds his heart, which he knows has become warped and stained. And it beats a blood that only deserves to be spilled. And he stands a ways off and he mutters a prayer to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then another surprise follows. Jesus says, this is the one who went home justified, not the Pharisee. How could this possibly be? This guy deserved a punishment. This criminal needed to be put right. 
It's because the irreligious say, I don't need saving. I don't believe in that. I don't need it. The religious, they say, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to earn my way. God will love me because I am good. But this tax collector looked to the God of the universe and he said, save me. And how could justice be satisfied though? How could a man like this deserve to be saved? Doesn't he not, does he not deserve death? Does he not deserve a penalty? It's because of the true surprise of justice. You see, Jesus became the criminal. Jesus was the perfectly righteous man, but he wasn't praying standing along the side. He was praying on the cross and he wasn't comparing himself with sinners. He was becoming one. And the mercy that he asked for was not for himself. It was for his enemies. He was bearing the justice, the punishment, the penalty. And in one single moment, took it all upon himself, the wrath and justice, so that we may receive the mercy of a loving, gracious, and just God. Church, what a God, a God of justice. You see, the tax collector went home that day justified because he humbled himself before the almighty God and so was covered by his blood. Will you? Will you beat that chest? Will you say that prayer? Because God is willing to meet you there. Do you see that you need him? And for the irreligious, for those who are tired of running, the pleasures of this world simply aren't satisfying. Those who think that they need to actually get it all together before they approach God, God says, no, just come here and I will meet you here. There is justice for you here. You don't have to pay the penalty because my son already has. There's justice for you here. And for the religious, for those who are trying, tired of trying to earn it and to perform constantly, they have recognized at some level that they have put themselves up too high. He says, come down. See that there's the greatest strength, my strength in you and your greatest weakness. Let it be the stage in which I perform the greatest miracle of salvation and life and love. You see, the God of justice is going to put right everything someday, but he waits one more day because today he just wants to do that in you. This God of justice wants to justify you by the blood of Jesus. You have to let him. You have to become dependent upon him. There's a, there's a punishment coming. There's a penalty that we have to bear. We don't have to because of King Jesus, because of the gospel, because of the good news. And the words of Tim Keller, the gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And when justice comes and we stand before the judge, when we come before his throne, we will stand righteous, not by our own deeds, but by the very righteousness of Christ. And all that will be left in every domain of our life will no longer be anger. It will be compassion. It won't be resentment. It will be love and it won't be fear. It will be charity. And the grace that we have been so freely given will now express itself in the most vivid and amazing ways to the people all around us. That people may truly know who we are and who we belong to, not because simply what we do, but because of who we belong to. He wants to cover you. 
And today, if you are the irreligious, you're like, man, I'm just ready to stop running. We have tables in the back. We'd love to have a conversation with you about what it means to be covered by the blood of Jesus when we have faith and trust and belief in him. And if you're those who are just struggling with the religious, like you realize you might have propped yourself up too high, please come back and talk with us. All of us sway one way or, to, or not to the other. And we're in need of this grace, this good news. And as a church, it's what our goal is to remind us of, that a God of justice is a God who justifies and is willing to do that for you. That we may sing and worship him at his feet. I wanna invite you to stand where you're at as I pray. Father God, you are holy and precious and good. We pray that our lives continue to conform to the image you've called us to, not to earn our salvation, but because we know we have received it through your son, Jesus. May our lives continue to reflect the grace and mercy that you have so willingly given to us. May we be instruments of your justice in the ways in which we share this with others so that every person may come to see your love for them and the salvation that you offer. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.